0: Listening to the Miracle Word Podcast, we believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Let's get going on this because I've got quite a lot to show you today. So. Uh, I'm going to take you to really like two different passages in the Bible today, and um, in these two passages, we're going to kind of break them down, and I want to show you using these using these tools that we're going to use for Bible study, I want to show you um, how we would look through these scriptures and uh, kind of get a behind the scenes or even a deeper understanding, much deeper understanding uh, of these scriptures with just three tools that I'll give you today and uh, I'll give you a fourth as kind of a bonus later on in the broadcast. But uh, I want to show you this. We're going to start with Second uh, Timothy, chapter three. So if you've got your Bible, open it up with me to Second Timothy chapter three, and um, I'm gonna we're gonna read through about three verses of Scripture at the end of the chapter, and then I'm gonna take you into the tools and show you how we can even look deeper. Uh, into these passages of Scripture. And I've kind of handpicked a few passages that I want you to see things from. And it's going to be along the lines today uh, of the Word of God. We're going to do a study from the Word of God on the Word of God. So it's going to be good. Um, And so I want you to go with me quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read verses 15 through 17 2 Timothy 3 verses 15 through 17 now this is this is powerful because understand the more you know about the word the more you understand about the word the more revelation, the more truth you have, the higher you can fly in the body of Christ uh, the, the more free you will become the Bible says in John 8 32 the, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free uh, so In the Old Testament, same principle was uh, active. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. So, it is the knowledge of God's word that allows us to be victorious. Old Testament and New, same thing is true. Uh, The Bible says, I believe it's Proverbs 21, 16, that there are people who wander from the way of understanding, but they will remain or rest in the congregation of the dead. So, It is not a good thing to lack understanding. It's not a good thing to lack knowledge. It's not a good thing to lack truth. It is God's fuel for increase, blessing, and breakthrough, his word. And so the more you understand about the word, the more you understand from the word, the higher you can fly, the more uh, freedom you can experience, the more breakthrough you can experience in your life. It all comes through the word. And even the Spirit of God, you've heard me say this multiple times, even the Spirit of God uh, travels in the vehicle of God's Word. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, I'm going to read you 15 through 17 in the ESV, and then we're going to j- jump into these tools, and I'm going to show you what we can see from these passages. By the way, if you don't have this passage highlighted and underlined in your Bible, today's the day to do it. Second Timothy 3, 15 through 17 if it's not highlighted and underlined do it today one of the most important passages of the new testament and i mean that it's one of the most important passages of the new testament listen to this second timothy 3 15 through 17 paul's obviously talking to timothy and how from a child or, or and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So three short verses there that we're going to look at with these three tools today. And this is the first passage we're going to go through. Um, the reason that this passage, by the way, is so important is that it gives us a New Testament um, kind of light or revelation about the entirety of the Bible, all Old Testament and New, the whole Bible. And of course, Paul writes to Timothy here, all scripture, all scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all scripture is breathed out by God. We're going to talk about what that means in a minute. But uh, one of the things that I want you to see is if I was to flip over to the King James version, which many of us grew up on, many of us have had for years, we we can see that the King James version says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So even, even right at the beginning, that phrase is different. You can see it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, we understand this passage is talking about the fact that scripture is inspired. All scripture is inspired. But notice when we go back over to the ESV, which is a little bit more uh, in this passage literal to the Greek text that this is taken from, all scripture is what? Breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for approve, correction, training in righteousness. So let's get in. The first tool that we're going to look at this passage uh, with is the notes in the Life Application Study Bible. You know that I've been kind of touting this Bible. I enjoy it. I enjoy the the study notes. There's a ton of them. It's why we we give it out to our partners uh, that are standing with us at $1,000 or more. We send you a genuine leather version of it, which those are hard to find nowadays. But... Um, We're going to go into the life application study Bible notes on this. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 15 16. We'll go right into 16. Listen to what the notes say here on this passage for verses 16 and 17. Let me read them to you. Life application study Bible notes. Listen. The Bible is not a collection of stories, fables, myths, or merely human ideas about God. It's not a human book. Through the Holy Spirit, God revealed his person and plan to certain believers who wrote down his message for his people. Uh, This process is known as inspiration. The writers wrote from their own personal, historical, and cultural contexts. Although they used their own minds, talents, language, and style, they wrote what God wanted them to write. That's a very important, this is a massive, massive doctrinal thing that you need to understand as a Pentecostal believer. Men did not just choose to write the Bible. And that's what the notes are telling us here. The scholars that wrote these notes are letting us know, and of course, Scripture bears it out, uh, that although they used their own minds, their talents, their language, and their style, they wrote what God wanted them to write, which is what Paul's telling Timothy. The Scripture is not of men. It's inspired by God. By the way, I'm going to take you to another passage that backs this up in the New Testament uh, that will even go deeper. Look now, he said, um, Scripture is completely trustworthy because God was in control of its writing. Its words are entirely authoritative for our faith and life, and the Bible is given by inspiration of God. Read it and use its teachings to guide your conduct. That's note number one. Now, here's note number two for verses 16 and 17. The whole Bible is God's inspired word. Because it's inspired and trustworthy, we should read and apply it to our lives. The Bible is our standard for testing everything else that claims to be true. It's our safeguard against false teaching and our source of guidance for how we should live. It is our only source of knowledge about how we can be saved. That's huge. God wants to show you what is true and equip you to live for him. How much time do you spend in God's word? Question. Read it regularly to discover God's truth and to become confident in your life and faith. Develop a plan for reading the whole Bible, not just the familiar passages. And then um, the note for verse 17 here. In our zeal for the truth of Scripture, we must never forget its purpose to equip us to do good. We should not study God's Word simply to increase our knowledge or prepare us to win arguments but why we should study the bible so that we'll know how to do Christ's work in the world and then the bible says or and then the writer says here our knowledge of god's word is not useful unless it strengthens our faith and leads us to do good so it's kind of breaking down here and it gave us another reference which you can write in your notes we'll go there in a little bit second peter chapter 1 and we're going to go there cuz it ties into this but notice what the the commentary is saying here is that all scripture, and I love this point here that they, that they make, and it's a point that many Christians in America and around the world do not understand. They don't get this. Because you'll hear people say, well, the Bible, this is the life application study Bible, Bethany. Life application study Bible. It's the notes of that study Bible. And so this is tool number one, by the way. Uh, you'll hear people say, well, you know, men wrote the Bible. You know, there's, there's people, there's Christians that believe that they literally believe that the Bible is something that was literally just written by men. You know, it's, well, it's, it's a, it's a good book, you know, but it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not any kind of supernatural book or anything. I mean, like literally there's people that believe that (laughs) I was looking at a poll not long ago and, um, it's amazing to me. Barna did an entire research project and poll where they were asking Christians what they believed about the Bible. You know, they're asking Christians, you know, uh, do you believe that the Bible is, you know, inspired? Then they asked them questions like this. Do you believe the Bible is inerrant, has no errors in it? Do you believe that the Bible, uh, is something that is a supernatural book or do you believe it's a natural book? And, uh, I was actually kind of blown away by uh, what Christians in America had answered with that question. Um, let me see if I can find it because I posted a, uh, a statistic on Twitter um, wanting people to understand where Americans were at uh, with, with their belief on the Bible because let me just say this very plainly. What you believe about the Bible, and I just found it, what you believe about the Bible will literally determine uh, how, you, how you are and who you are as a Christian. I mean, if you don't believe the Bible is inspired by God, if you don't believe it's God's word, literally out of his mouth, and if if all you believe is that it's a book written by holy men, you got a whole lot of different beliefs than the orthodox Christianity. What's going to lead you to take different actions in your life? You won't hold the Bible up as your standard and say, "Well, like this is the final word on matters of you know um, life, faith, whatever, godliness." You won't. You won't hold it to, to that level because you don't believe it's God's inspired, inerrant word, which it is. But listen to this. This was done by Barna. And um, this is not, I don't believe this is Christians. This is just everyone they interviewed. Beliefs about the Bible. Um, 200 million Americans, 64%, not of Christians, of Americans, 64% believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. That's encouraging. That's very encouraging. Barna found this. Uh, They did a study called The Bible in America. 64% of Americans polled believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. That's amazing. And the highest, obviously, is the the generations are older. Um, And then as they get younger, it goes downhill. And then how frequently people read the Bible. So, literally how frequently you read the Bible does have something to do with what you believe the Bible is. If you believe it's God's inspired and word that was given to you for the purpose of your uh, development and your equipping, then you're going to get into the word. You understand its value. You're going to get into it. If you don't, you're going to be in trouble. So We started here in the Life Application Study Bible with 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. That's tool number one. It's giving us some insight to understand, and it's giving us, here's the other benefit too, it's giving us cross-reference passages to continue to study. So maybe I was just reading through 2 Timothy, but I've got my notes open. And now that I've got my notes open, now I'm getting these cross-reference passages to study also that have to do with where I'm at. And then the, those that are writing the commentary, making sure we understand that although the writers use their own personal uh, minds, talents, language, and style, they wrote what God wanted them to write. That's big, man. They wrote what God wanted them to write. Now let's go to our second, second tool here. And uh, you know one of the things that I love to use is the Dakes Study Reference Bible. The Dake's Reference Bible. If you don't have Dake's notes on the Bible, you are missing one of the best resources that you could ever get. I mean, the man was uh, revelatory. Could quote the entire Bible front to back verbatim. They would test him for hours on the radio. He was just—he was a machine—and uh, he wrote an entire uh, grouping of study notes. On the entire Bible. And they're available. You can get them in the Olive Tree Bible Reader. uh, In their store. You can get them other places. You can get get one on Amazon. Get a hard copy of a Dake's Bible. But you need to have a Dake's Bible. I mean there's so much wealth of wisdom and knowledge in that. His name was Finnis Jennings Dake. F-I-N-I-S. Finnis Jennings Dake. And it was the Dake's Reference Bible. Or the Dake's Study Bible. Um, And in his notes... He is, um, he's talking, but he, he was, he was really big with, he'd give you all these lists and give you all these different things and tons of cross references. He always referenced anything he made a note on. He referenced it, but notice this he's talking about, and of course we know the Bible here in this passage is telling us what the word uh, what the word is able to do. I think he died in the eighties, Karen, but notice this, he he's taken us through the, the notes and uh through 15 uh verse 15 of course we read it a moment ago how from a, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation in in uh, through faith in Christ Jesus and then he, he gives us he gives us these notes he says uh, he gives us a list first based on verse 15 seven things the word of god is able to do seven things the word of god is able to do Number one, it's able to make us wise unto salvation. And then he gives the notes, 2 Timothy 3.15, Romans 1.16, James 1.21. So look at that. Just by, this, just by getting into this list he made, now we've got a ton of other cross-references of this subject that we're studying here in 2 Timothy on the Word of God. Number two, the second thing the Word's able to do, produce faith. Second Timothy three fifteen, Romans ten seventeen, number three, make Jesus Christ known. Second Timothy three fifteen, John 5, 1 Corinthians fifteen one through eight. Number four, to build you up. Acts twenty thirty two. Number five, to give you an inheritance. Acts twenty thirty two. Number six, to pro- produce profit in doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and in righteousness. Second Timothy three sixteen, and then make the men and women of God perfect. That's 2 Timothy 3.17. So he starts giving us that list. Then we go down. Very interesting here. Notes for verse 16. All scripture. And he emphasizes this once again. All not part of scripture. You know, I heard a guy say recently, and this is why I want you to hear this part. And that's why Life Application Study Bible referenced it. That's why Dake references it. And where we're going to go next really drives it home. Hardcore, and these are scholars. I heard a guy say, Well, you know, we only really go through, seriously go through the gospels. You know, we go through the gospels and Acts, you know, because that's truly what Christ did and cru- truly what he said. You know, that, that's that's, I heard a guy say that he was a preacher, he was an actual preacher. Well, we only really go through the Gospels and Acts because, you know, that's really what Jesus said. Those are the things he taught. Those are the things that he taught. And, uh, you know, of course, what we look at what the apostles did in the book of Acts and everything as the early church was formed. But really, we focus on those red letters, brother. Those red letters. That's the things Jesus taught, said, and did. And I thought, you don't even know the word of God. You don't even know the Bible because... If you think the only things Jesus said and did were the Gospels, then you don't even believe who Jesus was. Think of that. You don't even believe who Jesus was. By, um, by looking at the Gospel of John, if we're still in the Gospels, but just by his own admission, if you only study the Gospels, you can't even believe what that person believes. Because John chapter one, And verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So I want you to see just by the Gospel of John, we know that the Word, all of the Word is Jesus. (laughs) I mean, that's what verse 14 tells us, and the Word was made flesh, and he dwelt among us. So Jesus, who is the word of God, the Bible says, Jesus is the word of God. If you're taking notes, put it in the comments today. Jesus is the word of God and he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and by without him, nothing was made that was made and the word became flesh. All of God's word, anything that was written down in scripture came through Jesus because he is God's word. I want you to catch this. Many people don't ever realize this. Well, I read the red letters because that's what Jesus really said and did. No, Jesus is the word of God. Everything that came out of God's mouth, it is the word. It is Jesus. He's inspiring all of scripture. And that is the point that Paul is making to Timothy. All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's all inspired and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. So Dake makes this note again in verse 16, all not a part of scripture, not just the New Testament. As Karen was saying, she was taught that only the epistles are for believers. And of course, the epistles are written to believers. I mean, believers don't need to go into the Old Testament and learn how to live according to the law, obviously. The epistles are written for the believer, and they are written to the believer. But obviously, that doesn't mean that they're the only thing inspired by God. Uh, Dake is making this note for all of us to really get this and catch catch how important it is. All scripture, not a part of scripture, all of it is inspired by God. And so uh, he goes on. I mean, he goes 20 na- 21 names of the Bible. I mean, he, he go- so many lists. Now, here's an interesting one, because if we're talking about, there's my friend Jordan, I love you, buddy. If we're talking about the fact that the Bible was inspired by God, here's the question. How was the Bible inspired? What methods did God use uh, to inspire his word? or How did we get the fully formed Bible? How did it happen? Well, uh, he gives us a list. Date gives us a list. Nine ways the Bible was given to men. Nine ways the Bible was given. You ready for these? Number one, by the audible voice of God. They heard his voice. Exodus 19, 19. Deuteronomy 5. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. John 12, 28. And so all of these have verses attached to them. But number one, the audible voice of God. Number two, angels gave men some of the word. Acts 7.38, Hebrews 2.2. 2. Number three, the prophets prophesied, and it became the word of God. Prophets prophesied. Acts 3.21, Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. Number four, Jesus Christ gave us the word of God. That's Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, Revelation chapter 1. Number five, the apostles in the New Testament. Gave us the word of God. Acts 1 2, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, number 6, visions. Through visions, uh, we receive portions of the word of God. Daniel chapter, or excuse me, Isaiah 6, Daniel 7 and 8, Ezekiel 1. What else? Dreams. Dreams gave us the word of God. Daniel 2, Matthew 1 20 and 2 12. What else? Revelation. And then see the book of Revelation. John was given full revelation to write down and give to the uh, bond servants in Christ. And then, of course, nom- number nine, by inspiration. And we have 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, 2 Peter chapter 1, which we're going to go to soon. So nine different ways that the Bible was given to men that we now have the entire canon of Scripture given to us. And um, so understand this. He gives us such a huge note next. I'm looking at this. Right. Cora said, God gave me the revelation. Why is Jesus Christ the only one worthy to open the scrolls and break the seals if he was just a prophet? Something to teach people that don't believe he's our soon. I, I, I agree with you Totally. Totally. Um, but listen to this. I wanted to bring you to this because it is huge. There's my friend Tim Adams, one of the greatest guitar players in the entire world, and my brother. I love you, my friend. Um, Dake gives us another note here, which is massive. It's huge. He, he, he. And I've brought this out on the broadcast before. It's worth repeating. He brings us into the Greek language for 2 Timothy 3.16 and shows us this Greek word which is only used one time in the entire Greek New Testament. And it is the word we've brought out before, theonustos. Theonustos. It's really two Greek words pressed together as a compound word. Theo meaning God. And nousstos meaning breathe, breath or wind. Breath or wind. So you put them together, it really is God breath or God breathed in the context. God breathed. That's why the English Standard Version tried to stay as faithful as possible in this area to the Greek the Greek text it was translated from. All scripture is breathed out by God. Or you could say it this way, all scripture is God breathed. Came out of his mouth. It was his breath that inspired it. And so Dake writes, uh, the Greek, theonostos, God breathed only here, meaning it's not anywhere else in the Bible. It is that special influence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of holy men, which qualified and enabled them to make an infallible record of divine truth concerning the will of God to man. The purpose of inspiration is to secure truth and unity in record, not sameness of words or statements. Revelation discovers new truth, Inspiration superintends the communicating and recording of that truth. We have examples of inspiration without revelation, like Luke 1, 1 through 4, of inspiration including revelation, like the book of Revelation, uh, or without illumination, and of revelation and inspiration including illumination. So uh, one of the things is, he makes a point, catch how important this is. We can find lies of Satan and lies of men false doctrines, and many sins listed in scripture, obviously. Inspiration simply guarantees that these lies were actually told. These fallacies were taught by certain men and that these crimes were committed. It doesn't make these lies and fallacies the truth or place of God's sanction upon the crimes. So there's things that happen, we know, in the Bible uh, that you know God doesn't endorse them. He's telling you they happened. But he doesn't endorse them. So you understand those things are found in the word. However, and I'm not I'm not—I'm going to take the time to read all of these to you right here, but here's a note you'd probably want to go back and read from this uh, Dake's Notes section on 2 Timothy 3, 15, 16, and 17. He gives you 20 proofs, 20 proofs that the Bible is inspired. Twenty Proofs. I'll read the first one. It's wonderful unity. Over 40 authors wrote 66 books in different lands and over a period of 1800 years many never saw the writing of the others and yet there's no contradiction between any two of them. Collect any group of books by any other 40 men on any subject and see if they agree. I mean the unity, the unity of Scripture. It's mind blowing. Did you know that even with the New Testament, even when you know, people try to say, "Well, the New Testament, you know, it's probably not what they really had." We found manuscripts, documents, parchments, fragments all over the world because the New Testament was copied so much and so often and so quickly. And all of these, and I, that's why. Um, by the way if you're watching this on YouTube, I will link this in the description of this video uh, that I have recommended for you. And I've played it on my channel, um, the message by Vadi Bakum, why I choose to believe the Bible. And he's showing you, he's showing you that uh, it's insane for anybody that wants to say the Bible's been tampered with. I mean, like you'd have to be an absolute fool with no logical brain in your head to actually believe the Bible has been tampered with through the ages. And the way that we know it hasn't is, and he points this out in his his message, the way that we know that it hasn't been tampered with is because the parchments that we have, the fragments we have, the manuscripts we have, are from all over the world. And they were buried. Many of them were buried for centuries and found later. And so if we were going to, distort the bible because you know all of the manuscripts that we have all of the parchments all the all of the fragments they all agree there's only minor differences in spelling and there's a few minor differences in uh in the in verses that you know later manuscripts may have which we'll deal with that at the end of the broadcast uh later you know to 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 manufacture a doctrine for example let's say we wanted to invent Let's say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Let's say we wanted to take that stance. Jesus never claimed to be God. Okay, well, the deity of Christ is taught in Scripture. So if it's a fallacy, that means that men, evil men, had to add that doctrine to the New Testament documents. They had to go back, find every single copy, every single manuscript, and add those verses in, uh, Without their penmanship being noticed, without the fact it was noticed that many of these manuscripts were under lock and key and being guarded by armed guards, you know all that, so they had to sneak in to every manuscript, even ones that were buried that nobody would know about till hundreds of years later. They had to find them in the ground and rebury them in the same place without their penmanship being noticed, and had to add these false doctrines, if that's what you truly believe, into the Bible. it's impossible. He shows in that message, which I've linked in the description uh, if you're watching on YouTube, he shows how ridiculous that that thought process is that people change the Bible. They didn't change the Bible. God actually promised to preserve his word and he's done it. He has done it. And so uh, the unity of scripture and the fact that even the manuscripts, we have over 6,600 manuscripts and fragments of the New Testament alone. There's no other book in antiquity that even comes close. And I mean secular books. No other book even comes close to this many uh, witnesses or manuscripts. It's, it's a historical marvel. The Bible, the New Testament in particular, is a historical marvel. There's nothing else that comes close to it. Nothing. It's amazing. And so gives us 20 proofs that the Bible is inspired by, by God. And so uh, it's very interesting. As you study through these notes, you'll find things you didn't even know. And it helps you, like, just to understand that word theonostas. that it's the only time it's ever in Scripture, that it's also what it actually means. If you grew up on the King James and all you ever read was, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that's not as strong as understanding that all Scripture is breathed out of the mouth of God. All Scripture... Breathed out of the mouth of God. I want to take you to the, to the third tool here. The third tool that we're using that I use to deep dive, uh, studying in the word is a, listen, I found this, what about a year, a year ago, probably about a year ago now. It is a treasure. It is a, I can't tell you how much of a treasure this Bible is. I can't even express to you. Like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a scripture nerd as it were and and any 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 of this kind of stuff like like I like this the way my mind works like for example, if I were to read Lord of the Rings or something, I get more excited about the appendices of middle Earth you know than I than I do about the actual novel. The second tool Benita was the Dake's reference Bible, the Dake's reference Bible, Dake's notes on the Bible. Um, but you know, like I said, I would be I would be more excited. It's it's like to me, it's like the intricacies and the in, how interesting it is to read the appendices of all the things that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote, the languages he created, the histories of Middle Earth. You know that stuff is very interesting. The the backstory, the behind the scenes, the setup, and um, that's why this Bible that I'm getting ready to tell you about, to me, is such a treasure. This is the third tool uh, of today. I'm going to show you how we use it. Uh, but it's a, it's to me, it's a masterful. Ma- the fact that they even thought to do this is we should be thanking these guys. I mean, in all, in all honesty, it's a treasure for the body of Christ. And it's called the new English translation of the Bible, the net Bible, the new English translation. Now let me give you a little backstory on this. Um, These men who have been on, translation teams on other translations, the NIV, the NLT, the ESV, respectable translations. I mean, these are very, very interesting things because these are very intelligent men. They they came together and they said, you know, since the King James Version, there has not been a Bible made available in public domain, meaning... You can quote as much of it as you want in your writings. You can copy it, whatever, without being fear, fear of being sued. Every other Bible translation is owned by a publishing company, and they make money off the royalties of its sales. So, for for example, the ESV Crossway Publishing Company produces that. Uh, the NLT is owned by Tyndale. Uh, you can go right through the list. You know, there's a. Uh, I think the New King James Version is Zondervan. So, the, I mean, there's. They own them, so you can't just like reproduce them without fear of being sued. So they said, let's get together and let's do a Bible that's public domain that anyone can use, no copyright on it, just like the King James, which is public domain, no copyright on it. People can use it at will, and and let's do a Bible like that. So these scholars, like Bill Mounts, Bill Mounts was on the, the translation team of the NIV and the ESV, very intelligent man. Uh, I'm going through his Greek course right now in the Greek New Testament. Um, They said, let's do a Bible that is public domain, people can use. But then they had this, uh, I mean, I'm so happy they had this idea. They were like, while we're translating this new translation, let's have behind the scenes people here that will actually record all of our decisions in translation and create or make Available for you and for me, the readers of the Net Bible, make available 40,000. I mean, imagine this, 40,000 notes on the translation of Scripture for those of us that are not scholars, that don't read Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And and so they said, let's put together a, a Bible with the notes of why we chose to translate these portions of Scripture into English in the way that we did, in the certain way that we did. So what you get when you get this New English Translation Bible with the 40,000 translator's notes is that you get the notes on, they'll give you notes on manuscripts. There's different manuscripts of the New Testament. So when they're showing you things about Scripture, they'll take you and say, this Scripture shows up in all these manuscripts that have been found. And it'll show you what they are. Then they'll give you translators' notes, and that's when they say the reason we translated this passage in this way in English. And then they'll explain to you the grammar of Greek. They'll explain to you the context. They'll explain to you, uh, you know, how they're uh, how they're actually looking at uh, how these words are used in other places in the New Testament, so they can get a context in their mind of how the writers use them, uh, and then. They will give you scriptural notes and they'll give you scriptural notes, uh, based on historical context and manuscripts. So they'll, they'll tell you things about scriptural notes, which we're going to see in a minute, they'll blow your mind. This is a gem for the believer. I mean, when I tell you it's, it is a jewel, I, I consider it a jewel in my collection. I'm going to show you why. Because when you read this, let me go into the new English translation, uh, notes and we're going to go here to the notes on verses 15 and, uh, and 16 and 17, but it's, it's mind blowing. So I'm going to switch over for a moment, uh, to those notes, but also to that translation of the Bible, the new English translation, because they match the notes. So listen to this. Uh, we're, we're back in, um, same, same passage, second Timothy three, 15 through 17. And, uh, the, the the translators, I'm going to give you some of their notes here on this passage. So where it says, let me read you uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 in the New English Translation. It says, every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So let me stop there. Let's go to their note on that first por- portion where they say, there's my friend Aaron McCray. Love you, bro where they say all scripture, uh, or they write it in the New England, New English, every scripture. Because notice their note here on the Bible, or all scripture, scriptural note. There is very little difference in sense between every scripture emphasizing in every individual portion of scripture and all scripture emphasizing the composite whole. You see that? So the former is, is preferred because it fits the normal use of the word all and every as well as Paul's normal sense for the word scripture in the singular without the article as here. So every scripture means every individual verse of scripture, right? So understand what they're trying to tell you here is that the reason they translated this, every scripture is inspired by God instead of all scripture is because they want us to understand what Paul's trying to actually get across to Timothy. It's that it's not just like the entire Bible, you know, as a whole, it is inspired by God. He wants you to understand, as Jesus pointed out, you know, that, uh, uh, remember, he says, not one jot, not one tittle. He's, he's talking about. Uh, heaven and earth passing away, my words will never pass away. Every, when he says every jot and every tittle, that means every I is dotted by God, every T is crossed by God, every detail of the scripture is inspired. And that's what they're saying here. They're saying not just all scripture, the whole Bible itself, but every individual verse in the Bible is inspired by the Almighty God. Puts a whole new light on what you see about scripture. Every individual word. Let me make a let me make a note here to those of you that are watching. This is why, if you're studying the Bible, when I, when I say studying, like like we're doing now, studying for doctrinal purposes, studying to get a deeper revelation of what the Bible actually is saying or, or, or doing. This is why, although you know, I read the New Living Translation and other uh, other of those that would be considered more thought for thought. You need to have a Bible translation that's more as faithful as it can be to the literal words of the original manuscripts. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's two types of Bible translation. You have word for word and thought for thought. All Bible translations mix the two. You'll never get one that's purely one or the other. Uh, So all translations, I don't mean paraphrases like the passion or the message which just leave those alone. I'm just I'm begging you. If you if you if you think anything of me at all, if you respect anything that I say, I'm begging you on this broadcast to just leave the passion and the message alone. Just leave it alone. You don't need to pick it up. You don't need to pick the passion quote unquote translation. It's a paraphrase. You don't need to pick the message Bible up. There's no need. There's absolutely no need. We've been given a wealth. Of English Bible translations. We're so blessed. We have too many. We have too many. We've got a wealth of English Bible translations that were actually done by teams of scholars who've dedicated their life to careful Bible study and translation. We've got the Amplified Bible. We've got the uh, NASB. We've got the ESV. We've got the NIV. I mean, we have good Bible translations, we don't need more and we definitely don't need paraphrases of the Bible. I mean, what does that even mean? I mean, think how disrespectful, like I honestly think this way, and if you think I'm just like messing around, I'm being totally serious. How disrespectful is it? I mean, when we're when we're studying what we're studying today about what the Word of God actually is, All scripture is breathed out of God's mouth. Well, don't you believe God said what he meant and meant what he said? I want you to write that in the comments for me. God said what he meant and meant what he said. Please write that in the comments, everybody watching. God said what he meant and he meant what he said. So when you realize that God meant what he said and said what he meant, he chose Remember this, God chose the words that He inspired the writers to write. He chose them. He chose them. He didn't just flippantly cho- choose them. Jesus made that point. Every, you know, dot, tittle, you know, every I I's dotted, every T's crossed. He chose those words on purpose. Who do men think that they are to paraphrase? God's words. I mean, think about that. Think about the pride. Think about the arrogance of somebody like Brian Simmons, who, who, who comes up, I have finally found the love language of the Bible. I mean, how prideful can you be? Like just to sell Bibles, how arrogant can you be? Well, I've got the new Passion Translator. We've found... And then trying to pawn it off to Christians like it's some hidden new meaning of the love language of scripture. How arrogant to paraphrase God's holy inspired word that he chose the words that the writers wrote. He inspired those words. What do you think? They're not important? That we can just literally choose whatever that we want to say about what God said? No. Be faithful. And that's why... When we study doctrine and we want to know what we believe about the Bible, I mean, listen, if you're getting your doctrine from the Passion Translation, quote unquote, or the Message Bible, you're in deep trouble. <laughs> I mean, you're like in deep trouble. God said what he meant and he meant what he said. Why should we ever paraphrase the words of God? That's arrogant, man. That is arrogant. So, what we try to do is we try to find a translation that as as much as it will let us, because understand, there is the problem of syntax of the English language versus the ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew and Aramaic. There is the issue of some things just would be translated in a way that we could not understand them. I mean, if you don't believe that, open up BibleHub.com and click on the Interlinear Bible and read through the Bible. On, I'll do it for you on this broadcast. In fact, I'll do it right now. Just to make the point, let me let me show you what I mean. If the stupid internet in the hotel doesn't stop kicking me off. Um, okay, look. Let's go to the Interlinear Bible. And I'm going to read you, uh, for example, John 3.16. Let's do that. John 3.16. If you wanted to take the Greek language and just read it word for word in the English language, best of our ability to get it, the interlinear, that's all it does, is it takes the way the manuscript was written and takes each word or group of words and translates them into the closest possible English word. So John 3.16, if you read the Greek passage in English, would read like this. You ready? Thus, for loved God the world, That the Son, the only begotten, he gave so that everyone believing in him not should perish, but should have life eternal. That's what John 3.16 would sound like. And literally, all scripture would end up sounding like if we just translated it word for word. And so there is syntax. There is sentence structure. There's things we have to take into account, obviously. But what we want in a translation is we want a translation that's going to be as faithful to what the original Greek and Hebrew manuscripts actually said when inspired by God. We're not not trying to play around with that. We're not trying to get rid of it. We're not trying to make it better. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. And so uh, they're making this uh, distinction here. Every scripture is inspired by God, every verse every verse then we go to the um then we go to the next note which is a scriptural note on verse 16 the, from the phrase inspired by God some have connected this adjective in a different way and translated as every inspired scripture is also useful I could go through this I've got I don't I have limited time I want to take you to a couple other passages this this whole if you were to just read the new English translation notes on john chapter 1 your mind would be blown like your mind would be blown to see the depth of and the insight, but, but there's two other things I want to show you before the broadcast is over. So let me quickly go to that. Second Timothy, or excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, which is kind of a parallel passage of 2 Timothy 3. So now we're in Second Peter chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to read you verses 20 and 21. Listen to this. Above all, you do well if you recognize this. No prophecy of Scripture is ever comes about by the prophet's own imagination. What is Peter saying? Prophets didn't make up the word of God. They didn't decide on their own what to write. Know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. That's the ESV. Look at verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So put those two passages together, and what do you realize? That no scripture, no prophecy, nothing in the word of God was written just because a man decided to write it. The Bible is very clear. It, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so when you look at these two um passages, it gives you deep insight into just really, that's five verses that we've gone over today. We've only gone over five verses. And so listen to this. Um, I mean, there's so much that I could read out of this, and I don't necessarily have the time. But those three, those three tools, Life Application Study Bible Notes, Dake's Reference Study Bible Notes, and then finally the new English translation with translator's notes. Let me give you one more thing because the last thing I'll give you today is this. People freak out because anybody that grew up on the King James Version, that for 400 years was like the main English translation that we used and, and, and it was it became the favorite of the people for 400 years. It did change the world, went around the world We understand that. I'm not saying it's bad or anything like that. However, when they translated the King James Version in 1611 into English, they only had seven Greek manuscripts to work with. Seven. (laughs) Seven. We now have over 6,600 and better ones. Some would argue they're not better, but they're older. They're older manuscripts that we've discovered, more, uh, more ancient, and what we're finding with these more ancient manuscripts is that some things, and, and this is going to be, I'm going to explain this very clearly to you, so so that you don't think that I'm saying that men uh, are trying to pervert the word of God, because that's not the case. The men that translated and trans uh, use that were used in transmission of Scripture were holy men. They were men that wanted to do God's work, wanted to do his will. The problem is, when you, I mean, I want you to, if you want to see the problem, try it for yourself. Go sit down at the table with your Bible open, turn the lights off, light three candles in the room. That's probably about what they had. Turn all your lights off, light about three candles in at, at night, uh, and then sit at your kitchen table and take out a pen and paper. And I want you to read through an entire book of the Bible and copy it line by line by candlelight at night when you're already tired after work after everything else, and see how well you do. There might be a few times you mess up. There might be a few times uh, that you may maybe you're looking back and forth between your Bible and the notepad, and maybe you skip a line by accident. You know, we know by by history. Scribes did that accidentally. So what did they do? What did they do when they missed a line? Well, they would write that line in the margin of the parchment. The problem with that is commentary was also written in the margin. So the next scribe who got this to copy this book of the Bible, maybe they didn't even know the person that did the last translation. And they sit down at the table to do their copy of it because it's a copy of a copy of a copy. And they say to themselves, well, hold on. I'm seeing these words in the margin. Is this the scribe's commentary? Or is this a verse that he missed that he's putting there? And so not wanting to ever miss out on something that was God's word, they would include it. They would include it in the body of the text. And so one of the things... um that people are saying nowadays, you know, people freak out, well, these newer translations of the Bible are taking verses out of the Bible. They're taking verses right out of the Bible. They're trying to manipulate. It's not, it's not true. It's not the case. If you read something like the NASB, the ESV, uh, newer translations, faithful translations, they're not taking verses out of the Bible. They're trying to show you, and many of them will give you the notes so you can see it for yourself. They're trying to show you that in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible that we have, those verses were not there. And it's not a lot. I mean, think about that. If you go through the whole New Testament, there's only like 11 verses in question, 11 of the whole New Testament, 11 verses in question. And many of them can be explained. I'm going to give you that fourth bonus tool, by the way. Go with me to 1 John chapter 5. This will be the last thing that I show you on how to go deep dive in your Bible study. 1 John chapter 5. This is a very famous, a very famous controversial passage in scripture. Very famous. Um it's 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. I'm going to start by reading it to you in the King James version. Then we're going to read more modern translations. So this is how we all grew up reading 1 John 5, 7. You ready for this? The Bible says, and I'll read verse 8 too, 1 John 5, 7 and 8. King James, listen. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one, verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. That's how we grew up here in that verse. That's what for for four hundred years that was the word of God to everybody that read it. Problem is, is that verse seven is a little misleading. In that, the earliest manuscripts of Scripture didn't even have that verse. Let me read it to you in the ESV so you understand what I mean. For three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Wasn't even in the Bible wasn't even in the bible back then. Uh listen to the, this is one of the most famous controversies. It's called the comma johannium or the johannine comma, John's comma. is is really what it means. Uh but listen, listen to the to the same verse in the ESV. For there are three that testify. That's the whole verse. There are three that testify. That's all it says. It doesn't say the father the word and the holy ghost and these three are one. It's not there. It's not there. Um, if we look at um, the the New English Translation translators' notes on the Bible, um, one of the things that we're going to see is that they're going to list, and it's long, by the way, because this is a big controversy in Scripture. Um, it's a long note, but it basically tells us that this passage, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, was not even found anywhere before the 14th century. Before the 14th century. Think about that. Not till the 1300s was this passage found in any manuscript that was copied, written, or anything. Any manuscript of the Bible before the 1300s did not have the 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 Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. It was something that was put in later. And here's the fourth resource that I'm going to give to you. This is written by a man who's gone on to be with the Lord, but very intelligent man. His name is Bruce Metzger. And he wrote a book called the, A Textual Commentary on the Greek New Testament. Now, it's eye-opening because he'll tell you a lot of things in there. He taught at Duke University, and he, he 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 understood obviously bibliology, translation, transmission of the text. He taught at, at Duke University, and he in on this passage he makes some notes on First John five seven. This is what he says. He says um, he reads what the original Greek text says, which is what I read to you out of the ESV, the shorter version. And then this is what he comments in his book, that these words are spurious and have no right to stand in the New Testament is certain in light of the following considerations. So he's saying the fact that these words that were in the King James and the NIV, apparently I never knew that, I don't read the NIV, uh, that they should not have been in the New Testament at all is certain. They have no place in the Bible and here's why. First, the external evidence. This passage is absent from every known Greek manuscript except for eight of them, and these contain the passage in what appears to be a translation from a late recension of the Latin. So they took the Latin and copied it into Greek. Four of the eight manuscripts contain the passage as a variant reading. That's important. Uh, in the margin, like I said before, it was in the margin. It was not in the main body of the text. As a later addition to the manuscript, these eight manuscripts, and then he lists the manuscripts. The name of the book is A Textual Commentary on the Greek New Testament by Bruce, Dr. Bruce Metzger. M-E-T-Z-G-E-R. I'll link all these resources in the description once this is on YouTube for you guys to go back and watch. So that's the first external evidence. Not found in any of these manuscripts, like I said, until after the 1300s. But listen to this. And here's a very important proof. This passage is quoted by none, none of the Greek fathers who, if they had known about it, would have definitely used it because, and why do I say they would have definitely used it? Because uh, at the time, there was a controversy Uh, about the Trinity in the body of Christ. There was a controversy. You know, there were people that were trying to say there's one God only and, you know, but really, were because of that controversy, they would have used that verse of scripture to prove from the original inspired manuscripts that, no, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That would have been a perfect Trinitarian scripture to use to make your argument. However, not any of them he goes through all the writings of the church fathers. You can go back to Polycarp, you can go back to Ignatius, you can go back to Irenaeus, any of them. They never used it. And did you know that Bruce Metzger said that if we lost every, every manuscript of the New Testament in Greek, if we lost everyone, if they were burned in a fire, that we could literally recreate the entire New Testament just from the writings of the early church fathers who quoted scripture so much that we could have recreated the whole Bible from just their writings. And they never quoted 1 John 5, 7 in that way. There were Trinitarian controversies. Its first appearance in Greek is a Greek version of the Latin in 1215. And listen to this, number three, the passage is absent from, from the manuscripts of all ancient versions, all ancient versions, Syriac. Uh, Syriac, Coptic, Armenian, Ethiopic, Arabic, Slavonic, and except the Latin, it's not found. In the Old Latin, in its early form, or in the Vulgate, as issued by Jerome. So understand this, the earliest instance of this passage being quoted as a part of the actual text of the epistle is in the 4th century Latin treatise called Liber Apologeticus. So, then you go to the internal, that's the external proof, then he goes and gives you internal probabilities, internal proof. And so there's all kinds of things. If you'll get that fourth resource, I mean, I know it's a little bit more scholarly, but just to have those notes on your iPad or on your phone to where if you're in question about a New Testament passage, you're like, how do I understand this? What what, what should I know about this passage in the New Testament? Dr. Bruce Metzger was the foremost scholar on textual criticism of the New Testament. A man who loved the Word of God, a man who taught the Word of God, it's it's probably true, uh, Moabus. It, it, it probably is true, and I miss you, buddy. I love you. It probably was inserted after the creed was well uh, was stabilized or established in church history. And of course, we don't need that verse of scripture to prove the Trinity in the New Testament. I mean, you can prove the doctrine of the Trinity without First uh, John five seven in the King James. You can obviously and easily prove the Trinity. Without that. For example, you could use scriptures like Acts ten thirty eight, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you don't you don't need first John five seven. There's plenty of places. How about when Jesus is being baptized in the Jordan River? And he's baptized and the heavens open up and God speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit then descends upon him like a dove. So there there's plenty of places in the New Testament where you can prove the Trinity without having first John 5 7, the way the King James put it in the Latin Vulgate did. But there's only like eleven passages in the New Testament. But if you the reason I brought that up is so that if you ever hear anybody saying, well, these new translations of the Bible are taking verses right out of the Bible. They're just stripping verses. They're not stripping verses out of the Bible. In fact, many of these, let me go back to my Bible here and show you something. If I were to pull that up, for example, in the New Living translation, the New Living, which is a thought for thought. If I pulled 1 John 5, 7 up there, you know what it's going to say? It says, verse 7, it has the short reading. So we have these three witnesses with an asterisk. And if I click on the asterisk, or if you have a paper Bible, it's in the footnote. It says, a few very late manuscripts add... In heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, and we have three witnesses on earth. So, it's not that they're taking verses out or trying to deceive Christians or deceive new believers. They're not trying to deceive you, and they're not trying to strip scriptures out of the Bible at all. In fact, if they were, if they were trying to strip scriptures out of the Bible, why would they put all those footnotes in there telling us that in later manuscripts of the New Testament? This verse was added, but they don't put it in the body of the text because it wasn't there in the originals, in the earliest manuscripts we have discovered. So don't listen to these people that are like, well, these, these new translations of the Bible, They're tra-. don't listen to that. Understand why we have what we have. Understand why the Bible is what it is. And understand that these men of God, these scholars, while there may be a little bit of a bent here and there on a translation based on doctrine, there might be. There might be some things in the ESV that are pushed more towards the Reformed community, Baptists, Presbyterians. And I acknowledge that. And there, you know, because anytime you get men involved, men are going to put a little bit of a slant on, on their thinking. But understand, they're being as faithful as they can possibly be. Like look at the NASB, as faithful as it can possibly be to the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. So using tools to go deeper in Scripture. And trustworthy tools, that's why I wanted to do this today, is because I wanted you to see that it's not just about, you know, let me let me encourage you to do something at the end of this broadcast. And by the way, I have a resource for you, which will also be linked in the description. If you want to watch other videos I've done on this, and if you want to look at ways you can go even deeper, I have tons of resources. Go to miracleword.com forward slash study. I believe it's forward slash study. Let me just make sure. I mean, it'll be linked in the description on On YouTube, I should have just wrote it down or committed it to memory. Um, I think it's either it's either study or Bible study. No, it's study. Miracleword.com forward slash study. I gave you a whole bunch of Bible study resources. I have Bible study tips and tricks video in there. I gave you an opt in if you want to for a New Testament monthly plan. Uh, t- I give you tools in there that we love, how to study the Bible topically, three huge Bible study mistakes, um, you know, all those things. And then links to Miracle Word University. So it's miracleword.com forward slash study. Thank you, Tiffany. And I encourage you to go there. It'll be linked in the description on YouTube. But I want you to understand we're putting these, in- these resources together for you so that your Bible study will be so much better. So that you. Uh, we'll, we'll be able to go deeper in your study of the word of God without question. And so there's the link Tiffany just put in Facebook, miracleword.com forward slash study has all the links. Uh, so Chrissy's asking a phenomenal question. Excellent question, Chrissy. I'm so glad you asked. So is this why the Apocrypha is left out of the Protestant Bible? I've always wondered. Absolutely. The, the Apocrypha is not the inspired word of God. It's not God's word. None of those books are God's word. And I know Catholics would recoil at hearing me say that. But if you study bibliology, if you study, see, because we can't decide what God's word is, we can only recognize what is the word of God. And there are things that we can use to recognize it. If there's error in it, it's not God's word. If there are things that are false in it that contradict other passages, it's not God's word. So the Apocrypha is not God's word. Did you know that Jesus nor the apostles quoted, they quoted from almost every Old Testament book, never quoted from the Apocrypha one time, not once. Not only that, the Jews who have had the word of God for 6,000 years kept the word of God and were commanded to keep the word of God by the table of the presence in the temple. And they never kept any of the Apocrypha where the word of God was kept because they understood it was not God's word, not God's word. And so the reason we don't have the Apocrypha in the Protestant Bible is because if you go back to the Reformation, when the reformers, you know, Martin Luther, John Calvin, others, when, they, when the Reformation was taking place, if you want to think of it this way, it was kind of a back-to-the-Bible movement. That That's really what it was. The Reformation, very interesting study. It was a back-to-the-Bible movement. And Luther and Calvin and these guys were like, listen, we're done being told that the traditions of the church are on par with, with the Scripture. Which is why when you look at the solas, you know, the five solas, if you don't know about that, there are five, uh, they're called the five solas in the Latin, sola meaning only or alone, that they established. Uh, sola Scriptura was one of the main things the Reformers used to understand. Listen, we go by what the Bible says alone, Scripture alone. That's what Sola Scriptura means Scripture alone. The Catholic Church was manipulating people, doing things for money, like the baptism of the dead, all kinds of things, alms, uh, all all those different things. Uh, And it was not in scripture, and it was things that were created uh, by the church. Indulgences is the word you're looking for. Indulgences, you Google it for yourself. Uh, Google indulgences reformation and see what you read about that. They were done with all that. You know, they were being told what they could believe by the priests who were the only one that was allowed to have a Bible. The Reformation was a back-to-the-Bible movement. So they had sola scriptura, sola fides, which is faith alone, sola gracia, which was grace alone, uh, uh, sola sola de gloria, uh, which is for the glory of God alone. And so they were setting these standards for the Protestant church. The, the 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 real protesters are us you know if you want to talk about protests they were protesting the indulgences of the church they were protesting church tradition that was being set on the same level as the bible uh, the words of the uh, every you know papal edict that went out the, the words of the pope which are considered to be god's words which is heretical completely heretical so the the apocrypha while it may be interesting to read is not God's word. You know, it's interesting to read uh, books like Bell and the Dragon, you know, which is the uh, like a supposedly a longer ending of the book of Daniel. And it has a, some cool stories in there. It's not the word of God. It's an interesting read, but it's not the word of God. And uh, so understand that. We, we look at the Apocrypha as historical books, but we don't look at them as God's word. It's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. There's so much information for you guys to get at MiracleWord.com forward slash study. And uh, I, I know I went just a little bit longer than I normally do, but there's so much to tell you on this. And these four tools, once again, the Life Application Study Bible Notes, the Dakes Reference Bible Notes, the New English Translation with Translators Notes, and Bruce Metzger's A Textual Commentary of the Greek New Testament. Phenomenal phenomenal uh, resources for you to have in your library. I'm encouraging you to do it. I want to pray for you at the end of the broadcast today that God would give you a hunger and a love for studying his word like you never have. We need it more than ever before. And so let me pray. Father, I pray for every man and woman that's watching and all those that are listening on the podcast that you would give them a desire and a hunger and a fire to dig into your word like they never have I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us such a hunger. Your word promises us that blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Give us that hunger in Jesus' name. Give us that fire. We thank you for it. Fill us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> Norman's asking, can you tell me, Ted, where uh, and what scripture in the Bible where it says the word Trinity? The word Trinity is not in the Bible, Norman. It's just a word that's been developed to understand the triune nature of God. There are three distinct persons. Uh, He says, "I can't find it." I realize the Bible says the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. They can be, and they cannot be Christ Jesus. Is that what you're saying? Because Scripture is clear: one God, one body, one baptism. All three of the Godhead. So let's talk about that for just a second. It's a great question, Norman. We know from Scripture that there are there are three distinct persons in the Godhead. God is not a name, by the way. It's a station. It's just like if I call my dad, dad. His name's not dad. That's his position in my life. Jesus is God. Jehovah is God. The Holy Spirit is God. All three are God. All three. There's three distinct persons in the Trinity. Acts 1038, Norman, is a great place for you to go. It lists all three in one verse. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. All three in one verse. Go to the baptism of Christ, as I said earlier. He's being baptized in the Jordan River. Jesus is being baptized. After he is, the heavens open, God the Father speaks. This is my beloved son. And the Holy Spirit then descends upon him like a dove. So there's all kinds of passages, Norman, where you can see the three distinct persons of the Trinity, although they make up one God. One God. And I know that the Trinity is one of the hardest things for people to wrap their mind around. And it is. And it is. But I heard a guy say it this way. Couldn't you look, for example, couldn't you look at H2O, which is water? Couldn't you look at it in its three different forms at the same time? Couldn't you look at it in its three different forms? For example, if you put, water in a glass it's in its liquid form but drop some ice cubes in and it's in its ice form frozen form but then watch when you throw it onto a frying pan it turns into a steam form it's all h2o it's all water but it can be in the form of ice the form of liquid or the form of steam they're all h2o it's just that they're in three distinct forms same with god he's he's all god but in three distinct forms, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's very important. Someone else used the uh, the example of the egg. You know, you in an egg, you have the shell, you have the yolk, and then you have the white part. They're all the egg. All of it is the egg. Except there's three distinct parts of an egg. The shell, the white, and the yolk. So catch that. God is one. The Bible says it, God is one, but there are three distinct persons uh, that make up the Godhead and the Bible's very clear about it, very clear about it. So excellent question, Norman, thank you for asking it. Any other questions before we go? I want to encourage you guys to sow a seed today by faith. If you'd like to give, you know how to do it, miracleword.com. You can click on the give button and sow a seed today if you'd like to. And I say thank you. If you'd consider partnering with us, I say thank you. Uh, We love you and appreciate you, and we're doing more than we ever have done to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Any other questions before we log off? Yeah, I'm sure you do, Norman, I know. Many don't, you're correct. Many don't. Many do not. I would like to see if there was any other questions, because I know I did a lot of teaching, and that's a lot of information. We are going to have this up for you on YouTube very soon, within the next few hours or so. So that if people want to re-watch it or whatever they can and get all the links in the description uh, which will be helpful <laughs> because there's a lot of stuff I gave you today. You're welcome Chrissy and thank you for your question. love you Cora thanks for joining me. I appreciate you guys joining me. I will be back again uh, we're off tonight there's no service tonight back preaching again tomorrow night Thursday night. Kenton Ohio Um, by the way if you missed it the new vlog is up today episode 3 I met with Feed the Hungry yesterday it was an amazing meeting we're increasing our partnership God's moving around the world they're going to help us with our crusades coming up it's just it's awesome God's using it God's using it thank you for hanging with me today thanks for staying around a little bit longer uh, and getting all this information I love you guys appreciate you I love you Jordan can't wait to see you next week Um, you guys have a great day And uh, I'll see you again tomorrow in the morning. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.